Bibles open to Genesis chapter 2, where we're going to be spending all of our time there this morning. This trimester, uh, the elders have set before us a theme of God and family first. And when we think about uh, focusing our families together on God, the foundational piece to really what the family is, is the marriage. That relationship between the husband and wife. That is the foundational piece of what the family in, in all things is built upon. And so this morning, we're going to spend some time talking about that specific relationship. And really, because it is such a foundational piece to what the family is, I thought for us, we'll spend our time talking about the foundation of what the marriage is supposed to be. And to do that, we're going to go all the way back to the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you have there God creating all things. And there in chapter 1, he creates everything that we see in the world around us. And in Genesis chapter 2, specifically in the passage that Paxson had just read for us, you have where God has created man, then creates woman, and ultimately their relationship with one another is the creation of marriage. And in that passage, in verses 18 through 25, there are non-negotiable foundational pieces to what God says marriage that he created is to be. Now, he's the one that gets to set the rules because he is the one who created it in the first place. You see, that's a concept that we understand, and I, and I think we get it. We, we see it play out in the world that we live in all the time. I'll give you an example. Well, we could go back years and years and years ago uh, Kim and I, we're big fans of Uno, the card game. You know, Uno, everybody's played Uno. And we're big fans of that game. And we started uh, making a variation of that game that we got all of our friends involved in playing. And we would have tournaments based upon that variation and ultimately called it Bard Uno. Why? Because we created it. And if we create it, we get to name it. And because we created it, we set the rules. And everybody played according to those rules. And nobody had a big problem with that or questioned that because it is that concept that we understand. It is a game that you made. It is something that you created. And because you created it, you get to set the rules. You get to set the boundaries. That's where God is with marriage. God created marriage... And so, therefore, he gets to set the boundaries. Now, throughout Scripture, there are all kinds of specifics that we can see in regards to marriage that would be good for us to study. And, and, and in time, we'll spend some time talking about those things. But this morning, we're going to talk about some foundational principles when it comes to marriage. And those foundational principles found specifically here in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. And we're not going to do anything super fancy this morning. We're going to work through this passage together. And we're going to do so in a very logical way. I have read just this week, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, bunches of times. And there are a couple of things that continue to stick out to me that I think helps 
And when we're understanding what's happening here to have a full picture of how God has began introducing himself, really, to us in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Have you ever thought about that way before? In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, there are things that we learn for sure. How the world and everything that we see around us was created, we learn how that happened. God created those things. But sometimes it's good for us to understand that as we open up the very beginning of his book, this is how God has chosen to introduce himself to us. What he says about himself. And there are two things that sticks out, one in chapter 1 and then the other here at the end of chapter 2. The first thing that sticks out that God wants us to understand about him is that his words carry power and authority. It is through his words in which he created everything. God said, let there be light, and there was light, over and over and over in chapter 1. Then God said, then God said, then God said. He, He wants us to understand that his words carry power and authority. He showcases that at the very beginning of his book. But there's something else that sticks out about God that happens right here in this passage. I want us to think that as we get into this story, what is happening here? That Paxton read for us, and we're going to read it again here in just a moment, is that God takes notice of a need that man has and then takes action to fill that need. That's what God has introduced himself to us in that way. Well, what he is saying is that when man has a need, I'll take care of that need. And then we start to see how he does that in lots of different ways, and he'll reiterate that, not just here in Genesis chapter 2, but throughout Scripture. He continues continues to reiterate that. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't fret over your life and the things that you need. I will provide those things for you. You have troubles. You have cares and burdens. Don't worry about those things. Lay those things on me. I'll take care of that for you. Well, we see God do that over and over and over, and that is what is happening right here. God sees that man has a need. He immediately Immediately takes action to fill that need. What a beautiful picture that we see at the very outset. What a comforting picture that we see from God from the very, very beginning. God knew that man had a need, and he took action to fill that need. There's an interesting thing that takes place here in Genesis chapter 2, specifically in verse 18, because It is something new that we see. Think about the phrases that we find in Genesis chapter 1 about creation. God creates something, and at the end of that day, he looks back on what he has created that day, and he says, that what I have done is good. And then the next day, he creates some more things, and at the end of that day, he he looks back at what he has created, and he says, that what I have done is good. And then he creates more things. 
And at the end of that day, he looks and he says, that, that was good. And he does that each and every day of creation. And in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 10, and verse 12, and verse 18, and verse 21, in verse 25, and in, even in verse 31, you see this phrase, he looks at what he has created and he deems it as good. Specifically in verse 31 of chapter 1, when he looks and he sees everything that he has made, he says, indeed, it was very good. And so you have this phraseology, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, over and over and over, six different times. And so when you're reading through Genesis chapter 1, it should almost come as a shock when you get to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, it, 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 should, it should stop us in our tracks, really. Because you have the, it was good, 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 it was good over and over. And then you get to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, and you have God looking at something, and what does he say? This, this here, this is not good. Well, that's new. That's different. We should take notice of that very, very quickly. Because it is something out of the ordinary. Good, 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 good. He looks at this and he says, not good. And what he sees in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18 is a man who is alone. And he says, this, this is not good. Man has a need and I'm going to do something about it. That's what he does. And what he does is he creates for man the marriage relationship. We begin to think about it in those terms. I think it should cause us, especially those of us who are married, to understand the seriousness of what this relationship really is all about. And so when we begin to think about this passage and the importance of it, well, the key becomes God's design for marriage. That becomes the key. We've made the point already. He created it, and because he created it, he then should know best how to operate it because he created it. And so the first application point the simplest, really, but sometimes for us the most challenging. But the simplest point is when it comes to our marriages, something that God created, our focus, our key component to that relationship is what is God's way. First and foremost, what is God's way? Now, that simple application should be, you know, the, the answer to any relationship that we have, anything that we do, anything that we say, any place that we go. I mean, it's the answer to every question in life, including this one. When it comes to marriage, God's way is the key. God's design is the key piece. And so what he does is throughout his word, including here and in other passages, he gives us every single principle that we need to have godly, fulfilling, and satisfying marriages. He has provided everything for us. 
So we begin to think about our marriage relationship. We have to think about it in the context of a relationship of three. The husband, the wife, and God. It is the relationship between them. And if that relationship, the husband and wife, and specifically their relationship with God, is where it needs to be, that marriage will be where it needs to be. Let's take a look at these principles. Let's start at the very outset of this. We're going to read it again. We're going to just go and break it up into two different pieces, 18 through 23. And then really, that is the story of what's happening. And then in verses 24 and 25, it seems that the writer of Genesis, through inspiration, certainly of the Holy Spirit, is adding some commentary about marriage itself. He's pointing to that, and he makes a couple of points about what God did here. So we're going to break it up into those two pieces. Let's start in Genesis chapter 2, beginning of verse 18. We're just going to read down to verse 23. We'll point out a few things. And really the punch of what we'll be talking about, certainly practicality-wise, will come from verses 24 and 25. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says, The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and and, and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh in its place. And then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, I want you to understand a couple of big picture items that we see in verses 18 through 23. This is the narrative of the story here in Genesis chapter 1. It is the narrative that's continuing to take place, or Genesis chapter 2. He has created, God has created everything. He has created man. He has created Adam. And he is now causing Adam to name things. He's passing the animals before him. And Adam is naming all of these animals that are coming before him. Excuse me. And so you have this narrative set in place. But yet in this narrative, we are able to learn a few things. And so you have what we've talked about already, this need that arises that God takes notice of. He sees the need and he fills the need. That's how God operates. And so to fill this need of man being alone, he creates this marriage relationship. But what he creates for him is important, and it's important for us to take note of, and it's important for us to take a stand upon. When God creates this marriage relationship to fill this need that man has, he creates for him woman. That's what he creates. It is a woman. It is not another man. It is a woman. And so homosexual marriage, when we think about it in that way, and in the way that our culture talks about it, 
biblically and per God isn't marriage at all. It is simply a perversion of it. God says, you have a need. And I'm going to fill that need through this marriage relationship. And to do so, he created woman. But he created woman to be a helper, suitable for the man. Let's think about that for a second. We read this piece of text. There are a couple of things for me that really stands out. I want you to think about the narrative. Sometimes we lose sight from God's perspective. He sees man. He sees man with a need, and he fills that need with a marriage to a woman. When we think about that, man was missing something. And woman was the missing part of the man. And for the husband to understand that, to think about that, I think makes a big difference. Because when it comes to the marriage relationship, it is two pieces to make a whole. It is two pieces to make a whole. God designed woman, and he understood her to fill the needs that the man has. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 11, you don't have to turn over there. If you're a note taker, you can certainly make a note of that. 1 Corinthians 11, there's a lot said, certainly the beginning of that chapter, about this relationship specifically. But God designed it, marriage, <coughs> so that the man needs the woman and the woman needs the man. He designed it that way and in all things. And so let's think about the creation of it. God made Adam from the dust of the ground. Why didn't he make Eve that way? Could he have done that? Could God have created Eve in the same way that he created Adam? He most certainly could have done that. Could he have created Eve at the same time that he created Adam? He certainly could have done that, but he doesn't. He doesn't create them at the same time simultaneously. He created Adam first. He didn't create them in the same way. He creates Adam out of the dust of the ground, but Eve he creates from a rib out of Adam's side. So we see those differences, and I think it's good for us to kind of, uh, kind of contemplate why that would be. Why, why did God make Eve this way, so different from the way that he had just created Adam? Well, I think in context for us here in Genesis chapter 2 is to help Adam understand, and in essence all of us, that for the man, this woman, his wife, is a part of him. It is from his rib that she's created. What's really interesting to me in this text is that in chapter 1, you have God saying all of these incredibly powerful things. And in Scripture, when man himself speaks, these here are his first words. Have you thought about that before? These are the very first words of man. God has spoken lots of times already, and he has done so in very powerful ways creating everything around us. But now here in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 23, it is man, man. 
Adam, who for the very first time in recorded history is going to speak. What's he speaking about? Is he speaking about all of the incredible animals that have passed in front of him? Is he speaking about all of the incredible uh, plants and flowers that God has created? The incredible sky and the unbelievable thing that you can have a sun to rule the day and a, a moon to rule the night. Is he, is he commenting on all, any of those things? No, the very first time that man speaks, it is about the woman that God has created for him. It's an incredible way for us to think about our marriages. Let me give you one other thing to think about. What God gave to Adam in this way was incredibly personal and super special for him. He creates Eve specifically for him. Should we not think that exact same way when it comes to our spouses? Sometimes we lose sight of that because here is something that happened so, so long ago. This happened so long ago. And my wife wasn't created out of me. I didn't meet her until I was 18 years old. And sometimes we lose sight of this special personal thing that God does for us when two people are joined together in marriage. You see, God designed marriage, including your marriage. And what God did is he joined you and your mate together. God did that. Jesus makes really direct uh, comment about that in Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 6, in the discussion that he's having there specifically about marriage, Jesus himself will say what God has joined together. Let not man separate. God, he joins each of those spouses together. And for those of us who are married, God has done that for us. And so in the last two verses, there are three principles foundational, inarguable principles that should be at the foundation of every marriage. Let's take a look at those and then we'll close. Back to Matthew, or Genesis chapter 2 in verses 24 and 25. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. You see, in these uh, two verses, I made mention a moment ago that this seems to be a commentary about what has just taken place. How do we know that? Well, he makes the point that a man is going to leave his father and mother and be joined into his wife. Well, Adam is in a very unique, created position. And so this relationship, marriage relationship, is created by God. And now there's a comment made about that relationship for everybody. And there are three foundational principles in just these two short verses. Did you take notice of them? If you didn't, that's okay. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what they are. And the first one is this. Marriage is to be our primary relationship. 
How do we know that? Well, man had a need. Adam had a need. No one else was around. No one else was around. It was just him. He was alone. And God sees him, and what does he create for him? Does he create a father for him to help him out along the way? Does he create a mother for him to to hug and love on him? Does he create a child for him to, to focus on and to spend time with? No, he doesn't create any of those things. God sees this man who is alone, who has a need, and he creates for him a spouse. That's what he creates for them. He does not create a father. He does not create a mother. He does not create a child for Adam, but creates a wife. And what that tells me is that when we think about our marriages, specifically our spouses, we have to understand that that relationship in your life is the primary relationship. Now, why is it important to think about that way? Because we lose sight of that culturally all the time. We can see from this passage the parent-child relationship most certainly isn't the primary relationship. Did you see just in these two verses that parent-child relationship has to be altered. It has to be altered in every way for the marriage relationship to even begin. So we've got to consider that relationship as primary. And us as parents, we need to raise our children. We need to raise our children with the goal, with the aim of releasing them. And sometimes that's a challenge for us. And it's a really big challenge when that relationship is the primary relationship. So if you have a couple that builds their marriage around their children or what commonly happens is you have a husband who builds his relationship around his career and a wife who builds her relationship around the children. When any of those things are taking place, that marriage relationship is heading for big problems. And so one of the foundational principles that God puts in place about marriage is that that relationship is the primary relationship. And so it has to be worked on, and it has to be cultivated, and it has to be built on over and over, day after day after day. And so number one, you make sure that relationship is your primary relationship. Secondly, from this passage, we learn that a marriage is to be a permanent relationship. The words that are used here, be joined to, as I read from the New King James in verse 24, is the idea of clinging to or holding on to. The picture of being glued to something. We've made reference to it already in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 6. Jesus, when he's talking about marriage and that relationship, there in that passage in Matthew chapter 19, he quotes back from here in Genesis chapter 2. He looks back and he quotes that passage. And then he reiterates and makes the point that what God has put together, let not man separate. This is to be a 
permanent relationship. Now, what helps us to understand that? I'll give you something that helps us to understand that. What helps us understand is how how permanent this relationship is, is to, number one, understand that it is a commitment that's made. But secondly, what kind of commitment it is, it is a covenant commitment that's made. So why is that important? Well, hold your finger in Genesis chapter 2. We'll come back to that. But look now to the very end of the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 2. In Malachi chapter 2, there, there's a, a passage that's given to us here and, and gives us certainly an understanding of God's attitude towards a marriage that would be separated, divorce. He hates that. Why does he hate that? Because he designed marriage to be a permanent relationship. So he's pained, pained when that relationship breaks. He's pained by that. And so we have a passage in Matthew or Malachi chapter 2. Uh, there's a verse there that a lot of us are, are familiar with. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 16, where God hates divorce. I want to expand that context a little bit. It's going to be helpful for us in the point that we're making here. Look just a couple of verses up from there, beginning in verse 14 of Malachi chapter 2. Listen to what he says. He, he says, yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously. Now listen to what he says. Yet, here's the issue. Here's the problem. He says, she is your companion, your wife by covenant. But he did not make them one, having a remnant of the spirit. And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says he hates divorce. It covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So that passage we understand He hates it. He hates divorce. It it is violent. It it is devastating. It is destructive. It pains God. It pains God because he has created marriage to be a permanent relationship. But even here in this context, he makes the point that that relationship that you have with your spouse is a covenant commitment. Your spouse is your companion by covenant. Divorce mars that incredible covenant picture. So we need to understand a foundational principle of marriage is that it is to be permanent, period. Inarguable conversation. And then finally, marriage is to be an intimate relationship. Now, before we talk about that, you're probably looking up here and thinking, surely there is another P word that you could have come up here and all of these three would have gone really nice together. Listen, trust me, I spent more time than I should have trying to figure out 
a perfect word to use here that begins with the letter P. And listen, I know I love everybody here, and I know you love me. And I know this afternoon I'm going to get 20 to 55 texts with words that begin with P that begin right here. And I appreciate those a little. I little appreciate those. All I could come up with was like phrases that began with P. And I, I stuck with the one word. And so I landed on, let's just make the point. After thinking for longer than I should have, I landed on, let's just make the point. It doesn't start with a P, so be it. But this text tells us a foundational principle of marriage is that marriage is to be the intimate relationship that we have. We see it right here in this text. One flesh, one flesh. That in every way is emphasizing the sexual union within a marriage. But, you know, I want you to think about that idea and the two principles that we have in front of it. You think about that relationship and the intimate relationship specifically. The idea in every way is that sexual harmony is built upon that marriage relationship being the primary relationship and a permanent relationship. It is an incredibly beautiful picture that God paints here. And like the point that we just made above, anything stepping outside the permanency of what God has created, he's pained by that. And the same point is made here. Sex outside of the lifelong commitment of marriage will never bring the satisfaction that God designed it to bring. And he is pained when it is this is how he has designed marriage to be he designed it to be primary permanent and intimate a satisfying and fulfilling and glorifying to him relationship and as spouses these are things that we must be considering and thinking about constantly so a couple of thoughts as we close number one great godly marriages in no way is luck in finding the right partner that's not how it works it is only the result of that couple working daily on their walk with God and with each other that's how great marriages are built. Great marriages are built on that daily walk. And so three things as we close. If you're here this morning and you're single, you're not married in any way, and you're thinking about some of the things that we've talked about, and maybe your mentality is, well, that, that's outside of, uh, of, of what you know, my life is, and maybe you checked out long ago. I, I want to ask you to come back if that's the case. Come back just for this moment. If you are single this morning, I would encourage you to use that state to secure a focused devotion to God and to his work. Make use of that. Find those opportunities in your life to glorify him in every way. Focus on him and him only. 
Secondly, if you're searching for a spouse, if you're searching for a spouse, I would encourage you to grow in your own godliness and purity and continually pray for a spouse who is committed to do that same thing. And then finally, if you are married this morning, I would encourage you to grow deeper in that godly covenant with your spouse. And how do you do that? Focus on those three things we talked about. Making sure that relationship is your primary relationship. Making sure that you understand the permanency of that relationship and the powerful component that God has given to that relationship in the intimate way that he has. You grow in those areas, and it'll be a powerful, powerful family that will be built, putting God first. I appreciate you listening so well this morning. Keith is going to lead us in a song of invitation. It gives us an opportunity to be thinking about a relationship with God. That's what we've talked a lot about this morning. Yes, we've talked about the marriage relationship, but as it pertains to our relationship with God. That's the relationship that is the key to everything. And maybe we can help you with that relationship this morning. You've strayed away from him in some way. Let's come back to him. Maybe we can help with that. Maybe your relationship with him is yet to even begin. That your sin separates you from him. Baptism, which can wash that sin away, reconciling you to him in a beautiful relationship. Maybe we can help with that in some way. If we can, you let us know as we stand and sing.